I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. We are post-AEW full gear. I'm going to give you a quick rundown of the pay-per-view, and then I'm going to bring on Andy Marshall, who's been writing for us uh, recently. He just came on board a few weeks ago, and he and I are going to dig a little bit deeper into the show, little, you know, little, little points here and there about what we thought. And, uh, and then, you know, you, you, you've never heard Andy before, so I'll introduce, we'll introduce him. So, uh, so people know who he is a little bit, but before we do that, I do want to run down the show a little bit. So unfortunately I missed the entire opening match. So I didn't get to see the buy-in show, which was, uh, Serena Deeb, um, and, and, and I heard that that was a, a really good match against Allison Kay. Uh, and and in some instances, people said that you know the NWA Women's Title because Thunder Rosa came out at the end. The NWA Title seems to be a little bit more of the A belt that AEW is uh, is displaying. And to some extent, I think that's an interesting theory because Deeb and and Rosa, from a wrestling standpoint, are probably the two best women in the company right now when it comes to actual in ring. So I could definitely see that point of view. But I missed Paige and Omega, which I heard was incredible. A nice little sprint there. We'll ask Andy his thoughts on it because I know he saw it. But my internet went out like five minutes before the show started. And I spent uh, the next 30 minutes on the little chat app with Xfinity trying to figure it out. And, you know, the thing that sucks about that kind of thing is they deal with people who don't know what they're doing at all. And then when they finally talk to someone who does know what they're doing, like me, like I did every step that they would have asked me to do before I even called them, and they still have to run through the, you know, the, the things that they have to ask you. And so I sat there much longer than I needed to sit, but I don't, they didn't even fix it. It just came back on magically. So what it was a waste of a time, but I missed the, the show, uh, the beginning of the show. So I'll have to watch that tomorrow but i think andy saw it i came in right as silver and cassidy uh started but uh to go back omega did beat page so he is now the number one contender uh orange cassidy beat john silver with the beach break it i I don't it didn't really feel like they got going they were able to get going that much it was i mean it's sort of like a a match that didn't really have a story anyway so Hopefully, you know, we'll see more of John Silver, but he, for his first time on a pay-per-view, he did not really get too much there. So uh, Darby Allin beat Cody Rhodes to win the TNT title, and Cody Rhodes was back as Cody Rhodes. He was not just Cody. And this was a pretty good match. I I wouldn't say it was a great match. I I thought it was really solid. 
Uh, my problem with uh, with Darby is uh, a lot of times when he's selling his the stuff that he does in his repertoire cannot be done without him using every single part of his body. So he's selling for the sake of selling, and then when he hits the comeback, it's like, oh yeah, I'm not going to sell right now because this is part of my comeback, and I can't change my comeback. So um, I, I thought he did an okay job selling for the most part, but uh, he he Cody was you know throwing him around and beating him up, and you know Cody's supposedly super muscular though he doesn't look that different to me even though Arn was telling him you know you're you're a lot bigger than him you got to muscle him around um Cody uh Cody did a um a crossroads from the from the top rope I don't know why every move from the top rope now has to be the avalanche version of that move I'm, I don't know when that started or why it's that way to me, the avalanche is throwing someone into into one of the corners and just running your full body weight on them. That's that's the avalanche to me. But uh, so Darby, you know, was selling the arm and the shoulder, um, and at the end, Cody uh, Cody missed or he was trying to do the crossroads again, and then they went into these uh, cradles and Darby cradled Cody. So after the match, Cody was upset, but he kind of got on one knee and gave the belt to to Darby and in, in a lot of moments like you you automatically just assume that the guy who does that is turning heel but no he didn't Taz came out ran down both Cody and Darby Brian Cage Ricky Starks attacked them they took Darby to the back where the entrance was where his entrance started he came in uh, I think he came in a car and then they were going to try to break his arm but Will Hobbs saved him so we'll see what happens? I'm sure something will happen Wednesday based on this. Uh, Nyla Rose, uh, Hikaru Shida. I did not like the psychology of this match. Uh, Nyla as the big gigantic monster who should, you know, who, who should be dominating physically uh, needed her heel manager to uh, hurt Shida's knee. And so thus Nyla Rose was chopping the tree with Shida and, you know, hurt kicking her knee and everything was knee, knee, knee. And I just thought the psychology is a little bit different because she's so much bigger than Sheeta. She didn't have to do that. She just had to beat Sheeta up. And then the other part of it is that Sheeta could only sell for some of it because her finisher is using that same knee and she needed to do it like six times to beat Nyla Rose. So, um, yeah, you know, selling it afterwards, but still using it to win the match. Uh, so she did win. She hit her with like four in a row at the end and, and pinned her. Vicky, Guerrero, and Nyla were arguing after the match. Vicky slaps her and Nyla just cowered. Then the match that I saw that was the best match on the show, obviously I didn't see Omega and Paige. And that's the Young Bucks and FTR. The first half of this match was an ode to the Brain Busters against the Rockers from like WWF 1989. That's really what it resembled. Matt with the bad wheel, another selling of a body part. Matt with a bad wheel, which which he did a great job with, by the way. Um, he uh, he was constantly in their corner. He couldn't get out. He would try to get out, and then they then they'd grab him and pull him back in. And then Nick makes the hot tag. So you know Matt was playing the the Marty role, just selling, 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 uh, and then. And then about halfway, they started to do like ode to all these other great tag teams. Um, 
there was a, there was a sweet uh, bulldog off the top rope onto uh, onto Matt. There was a heart attack. There was a 3D. There was Nick hitting the Swanton. Then FTR hit the the DIY uh, meet in the middle finisher. And then it was really the uh, the Matt Jackson show. Um, he was selling, selling, selling. Was in a sharp, you know. Was uh, he 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 had uh, Harwood in a sharpshooter. Nick had Wheeler in a sharpshooter. Somehow FTR both touched because one was on the outside of the ring, one was on the inside of the ring, and Jr. was vehemently frustrated with that because that the referee should have broke broke the uh, the move because. Both guys were touching their hands, and both men had their arms on the bottom rope, and so he thought they should have broken it up. But I, I agreed, but they didn't. And the, but then it was because Matt Jackson had to uh, give up the move because his knee was hurting so bad. So at the end of the match, um, they're setting up the Meltzer driver, and the way they're setting up the Meltzer driver is Matt grabs a chair, and Dax is like on his knees. And instead of begging off, Dax is like, no, hit me. Like, of course hit me, because if you do, you're disqualified, and you guys can never face us for these belts again. So Matt pretends to do it, but it was only a fake out so that he could set up the Meltzer driver. Um, and as he's they're setting up the Meltzer driver, Nick Jackson gets on the apron. He's about to do the little springboard. And Wheeler does a dive spear through uh, through Nick, throws him through the table. They hit a spike pile driver on Matt. Matt somehow gets his foot on the ropes. Uh, then they take Matt's boot off. They expose his knee. Wheeler comes off the top rope onto the knee. Harwood puts him in an inverted figure four. Uh, Nick finally comes back in and breaks it up as uh, Wheeler dives at him again through the through the ropes to spear him again, but he misses. Nick hits a 450 splash to break it up. We, so it's one, it's basically Wheeler and Matt and they're one-on-one, and Wheeler hits a super kick on Matt, doesn't go for the pin, wants to finish him off with one of like a, a, a Young Bucks move, which is like a springboard 450 uh, off the top rope in the middle of the ring, and he misses, and Matt, with his foot that doesn't have a shoe on, hits a super kick, grabs his knee because it hurts so much, and that wins the match. So the Young Bucks are the new tag team champions. Elite Deletion was next. This was Matt Hardy and uh, Sammy Guevara. I I don't even know what to say. It was at the Hardy compound. Um, they they came in. Sammy was in a golf cart. Uh, Matt used a drone to show like a vision of him, like this was Star Wars. But then he was actually in a monster truck, and he thought he ran Sammy over in the monster truck. But Sammy got out. Then they started wrestling. There was a ring in the forest there. Um, private party jumped in, Santana Ortiz jumped in, then they were out of the ring, Hurricane Helms jumped in, Gangrel jumped in, Hurricane got dumped into the Lake of Reincarnation and came back as, uh, Gregory Helms, the reporter, and he got dumped into the lake as well, then they, then, then Sammy and Matt got locked into a large shed where there was another ring, and Matt hits Sammy in the back of the head with uh, with a steel chair as he's laying on the ground like motionless and pins him and they wheeled him out. There was fireworks involved. It was not my cup of tea at all, but I saw some people enjoying it on Twitter. Not my thing, though. 
Uh, MJF and Chris Jericho, I thought this was a really boring match. They played it slow and safe. I mean, and I sort of get it because you had the tag team match, which was nuts and great. And then you had the elite deletion. So you can't just go nuts. And then you're sandwiched between the Eddie Kingston and Moxley match, which is an IQ match. I quit match with, you know, no DQ. So they had to have like a much slower match. I just didn't think it was that good. Uh, The punches were not great. They didn't hit the ropes very hard. Uh, It felt like second gear pretty much the whole time. In the end, uh, Wardlow comes out to give MJF the ring to use because he's a heel. But then Jericho had his bat because he's a heel and he's going to get ready to hit MJF with it. But MJF pulls the fake out like Eddie Guerrero and pretends like he got hit with the bat. So Jericho kind of pauses. He doesn't know what to do. Aubrey catches him with the bat. And Jericho's kind of begging off, you know, about about the bat. And right as he begs off, he turns his back to MJF, and MJF rolls him up to win. And now MJF is in the inner circle, and Jericho and MJF were very happy. So I don't know really what's going on, but the match was not uh, all that it was cracked up to be, that's for sure. Then in the main event, Eddie Kingston, John Moxley, it's pretty sadistic. There were chairs, there was barbed wire, there was thumbtacks, um... Kingston suplex Moxley on the thumbtacks, uh, or probably closer to Uranagi, but it was like a judo move. Then, then Mox has the thumbtacks on his back, and Kingston grabs rubbing alcohol, which Doc Samson had at ringside. Um, I hope, I desperately hope it wasn't rub, rubbing alcohol. I hope it was water. Pours it on Moxley's back. Moxley's got to sell it. Um, then he like grabs some thumbtacks in his hand and he punches Moxley with that. I don't know how that necessarily hurts Moxley because he's got the thumbtacks in his hand. Um, and then he puts the bulldog choke on, hits Moxley with these brutal crossface forearms to kind of get Moxley to to soften up a little bit. Puts bulldog choke back on. Then Moxley gets a bulldog choke on him. Then he hits him with the paradigm shift. Moxley grabs the barbed wire that Kingston had had. And um, he screams at him and he's saying, like, there's no other way out. So he uses the barbed wire, wraps it around his arm, applies the bulldog choke with Kingston uh, with with the barbed wire on his arm. And Kingston has to quit. The only problem with this, because I thought it was a pretty sweet finish. The problem is that there was no microphone, so you couldn't hear him say, I quit. They didn't really do it uh, with the whole microphone gimmick where... You know, the referee has the mic because I, I can see why it kind of breaks up the, the match. And, you know, we don't normally hear sound effects like that. And, you know, you have the infamous Roddy Piper uh, version with Bret Hart and Bob Backlund where he's screaming at each guy. What do you say when they're not even like in a big hold? So I could see how it could be, um, you know, why you wouldn't want it there. But I st- I mean, maybe they should have mic'd that the ring a little bit better uh, you know, for that match specifically. Not exactly sure. Anyways, no no shenanigans after the match was over. Uh, no Kenny Omega coming out challenging or anything. And it's because, you know, they have uh, until late February to uh, to do their next pay-per-view, which is, I think it's at the Revolution show, f- uh, February 27th. So they'll have the opportunity to do that. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that, that was the show. Um, we will be back in a second here with, uh, with Andy Marshall. I'm going to bring him on. We'll talk about the show. We're not going to break it down match by match because I just did that, but I will ask him his thoughts on certain things and we'll kind of, uh, we'll kind of talk about that. 
But before we do, I just want to mention Indeed, um, you know, businesses and, and companies, especially with the situation that is going on with COVID-19, you know, businesses have to keep doing, they have to stay in business and they have to keep doing what they've been doing, whatever their, you know, their Q3 and their Q4 plans were about. And so Indeed really helps them because, you know, hiring is, is probably more important than it ever was doing it in a time like this. They are the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the companies the best people and fast. And unlike other sites, Indeed gives full control and payment flexibility over hiring. Uh, they provide powerful tools to make the search for uh, these employees that much easier. And with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and faster. So try it out. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So indeed.com front slash blue wire terms and conditions apply offer valid through December 31st. All right. So we're going to bring on Andy, but before we do, I just wanted to mention that the segment that will come on after Andy and myself will be my uh, WCW Saturday night review with John LaRocca. Unfortunately, because we recorded it, during the same time that my mic was all funky and not working, I do sound like I'm underwater, but I believe we have fixed the problem. So that shouldn't happen again. Again, I apologize. It's super embarrassing to, to have a podcast that sounds like that. So uh, hopefully it's just a, a, you know, a problem that uh, won't happen again. But just warning you that when you hear John and myself, my, my, my vocal, my mic is going to be way off. He, he sounds really good, though. So, But it's just because we recorded it uh, the, the, the same time as, as we did the other show, I didn't catch the microphone problem until we were sort of halfway done with it, and I just decided to stick with it. So me and Andy, and then you'll hear me and John after that. All right, joining us is Andy Marshall, who is a new writer for Fight Game Media. Uh, I know Andy through Justin Nipper, who you all know from both the website and this podcast. So, Andy, tell us tell, before we kind of get into AEW, tell us a little bit about uh, your background and and your how you got into you know. I know you've done a lot of writing, and and now you're writing about WWE for us. But like, how, how did all that stuff start? Yeah. Uh, by the way, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, you know, I just have a, a, you know, your traditional writing background, journalism uh, degree, stuff like that. And um, I worked for um, a newspaper and a publishing company for a while, just, uh, you know, putting out daily news, covering sports, entertainment, really running the whole gamut of, uh, you know, different things to run. Um, but uh, I've been a fan of wrestling my whole life, and I've had a lot of lifelong friends that have also... Um, like Justin, who have also shared that love of pro wrestling. So it's always just kind of been natural. It's always just kind of something I've always liked to pontificate on. Um, I'm a bit of a sports writer classically, so it kind of lends itself to, um, you know, taking that sort of 
uh, sports analysis to uh, the world of sports entertainment, so to speak, um, which, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of great ways to, to look at uh, pro wrestling a little differently that way. Okay, so you if you write about real sports, does that change... Like, like when you're writing about real sports, you have to write about it in a specific way. And then you write about wrestling and, and it's, it's, it's much different. Like, does that change the way that, that you look at things or can you sort of turn the sports brain off and then turn the wrestling brain on? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, a lot of it has to do with your audience. You know, um, you know, you look at something like, um, you know, old PWIs that were completely in kayfabe where, you know, they, um, they have to kind of go along with the pretense that goes that that comes with professional professional wrestling, the suspension of disbelief. But um, it is kind of tough because uh, you have to walk that line. You know, these are real people. They, these are real humans that um, are competing and, and training just like regular athletes do. So, um, you know, you, you always have to take that into consideration because a lot of people do get lost in the story and, and, and stuff like that. So um, I think writing about it from uh, a sports standpoint i think humanizes wrestlers for sure definitely and especially with AEW who are a company that do such a great job with and uh talking or keeping their fans connected and exploring all those new avenues to have that fan interaction especially even now with with uh, everything going on in the world um you know so when you're writing about it like that you know for a big company like say WWE where uh, you know, their lore is so long and storied that, um, you know, you do kind of have to jump back and forth between what's real and what, you know, their history or their stated history is, so to speak, in in, in writing. So it is definitely a challenge uh, when covering the bigger companies. But um, for indies or even companies like, I don't know, Impact or even New Japan, um, it's a lot easier because there's a little less of that. All right, so you have been writing some columns about certain WWE wrestlers, and you've been giving them report cards. What grade would you give AEW for their pay-per-view tonight? Tonight, uh, definitely an A. Um, I thought the show was great. Um, If I only had one criticism, and I I think this might depend on your level, at least for for hardcore fans, I picked every match correctly tonight, you know, and <laughs> I, I, I knew and it's almost like, yeah, that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. And then they did it. And, you know, with a company like AEW, where fans are a little smarter, so to speak, um, they a lot of those things I felt were really telegraphed. So uh, if there was one criticism, criticism I had, it's that a lot of these things are exactly what I expected to happen. And. Um, you know, some people that's really, that's good. That's a sign of good booking. I, I certainly think it's mm-hmm. good booking. You know, a lot of times, you know, when you see them go a place, you're like, yeah, just go there. That's, we, that's what we wanted you to do instead of a swerve, you know, Vince Russo went out of fashion 20 years ago. <laughs> um, so, uh, a little by the numbers or maybe predictable, I guess is a better word. But, uh, in terms of the actual quality of the product, uh, a just a great show, great performances, uh, great storytelling. Um, and even some of the, I, I wouldn't say there was any low lights. I think there were peaks and valleys for sure, but, um, just, uh, AEW, especially on their pay-per-view offerings always just seem to really get the best out of their performers and then really take advantage of the time they get. 
I I like the shows well, and I, I mentioned it on the intro, and I told you earlier. I didn't get to see the opener because I had internet problems. So I need to rewatch that opener or I need to actually watch it sometime Sunday. But of the matches that I watched, which started with um, John Silver and Orange Cassidy, I would give it like a solid B plus. And I'm, I'm assuming after seeing Omega and Paige, it could, it could go to an A minus. So I, I enjoyed it too. I thought it was good. The, the one I, th- I thought there were two flaws with this show. One was the AEW women's match. I didn't like the psychology of it. I thought it was a little backwards. I, I thought, you know, when, wh- why does the big giant monster need to chop down the uh, the baby face, the smaller baby face, you know, with the, with the knee problem? But then the knee problem doesn't even really play into it because she still uses it to, to win the match. So I was a little frustrated with that. And the other thing is, is I, I just thought MJF and Jericho underdelivered, And I sort of get why, because they were right after all the craziness from the tag match and from the um, the, the Matt Hardy match. And then they had to get they were going to be before the main event, which also w- was nuts. So they had to do a little bit more of a straight match. I wish that Jericho would have paced that match a lot better because I, I completely get what he was trying to do. He wanted to slow it down. But look, dude, there's no live. I mean, well, maybe they had, I don't know what they had, 900 people or something. So they had some live audience. But you don't have to slow down a live audience when there is no live audience, really. It's the TV fans who are watching. And at no point after those two matches did I feel like I needed to calm down watching wrestling. I was like, nope, I'm so looking forward to this match. I want them to have a great match. And I thought it was just really just there. So those are my only two qualms. We can get into that a little bit later, but I I, I agree with you. I I thought it was a really good show. Okay. So no, go ahead. Oh no, by all means, let's, let's keep it moving. Okay. So you saw the opener. I didn't see the opener. What would you say was your favorite match of the night? Well, uh, I would probably have to go with the opener. Um, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page are two of my absolute favorite in the world right now. So um, this story that they've been telling, I think, has been great. Um, Huge fan of their tag run this past year. They, um, you know, uh, you and I were talking last week where I said that, uh, you know, obviously their match at Revolution with the Young Bucks, one of the best, um, probably the best match in company history. But um, these guys had a G1 match that it was it was just a straight up sprint. Um, you know, the story they were telling, um, Hangman knows all of Kenny's counters, you know, and they know each other so well. And, uh, you know, they didn't go for anything crazy long. I think a lot of people were surprised this match, uh, kicked off the show, but I think with what they obviously did, I was so bummed that it was, that it kicked off the show. Well, yeah, (laughs) because I I was not able to watch it. (laughs) Right, right. Um, I think with what they did at the end of the show was was obviously why. But, um, you know, I was I it was hard for me to pick one of these guys. Uh, I think obviously Kenny getting the win was was the correct call here. Um, But uh, Hangman Page just continues to impress. Uh, I I can't say enough about the guy. He absolutely kept up with Kenny through the whole match. And uh uh, one particularly brutal power bomb on the outside too. I think you're in for a treat when you do actually end up getting to watch this. I think it might 
bump your overall grade up because this was Mm -hmm. um, one of the matches of the night for sure. Um, And uh, probably beyond that, I have to eat some crow. I know I was talking last week to you about it. I thought that the FTR uh, Young Bucks match was going to completely under deliver and I Mm -hmm. couldn't have been more wrong. I think it was just a, you know, obviously these guys know that this match has been looked forward to for I don't know, since they've been teasing it on Twitter two or three years ago and uh, mm-hmm. made a lot of live up to. I kind of thought they were going to, this was going to be, you know, chapter one in a, I don't know, three, four chapter story. Um, but I think they really went for it. And, you know, I think it is obviously a, definitely with everything they do seems to be longer term storytelling. Um, but yeah, it was just, a, I've seen it described as a love letter to tag team wrestling and yeah, that's, yeah, that's what Tony Khan called it to do it. Um, yeah, I, I, I saw that on Twitter. I wasn't sure if it was, uh, uh, Meltzer or Tony Khan who had mentioned that, but, um, it was, uh, it was a great match. I, I, I'm not particularly high on FDR. I, I kind of thought they had that weird, you know, guys show up from the other promotion stink on them. And I like uh, kind of like Matt, uh, excuse me, uh, is it Matt Cardona? Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. want to call him Zack Ryder, but um, when he showed up, it was kind of the same thing. Um, I was never super into the revival, even back in NXT. Um, so, you know, I just didn't know if they had it to keep up with a team like the Young Bucks. Um, but obviously, they've worked great matches in the past with, you know, Gar- Gargano and Ciampa, who they referenced tonight. Yep. And I think it was just kind of a. I mean, I saw a list on on Reddit of just the uh, the different references made tonight in all of the matches on, or different different references to different uh, promotions all night. But yeah, the uh, those are probably the two standout matches for sure. Obviously, they're the top performers in the company. Um, and then Darby Allen versus Cody Rhodes, I think. Um, that uh that match was just i'm not sure about derby how do you feel i'm i'm they seem they seem to really crown him here tonight they, they're treating him like sting and i just uh he doesn't really have the gravitas yet for me i think i'm not sure where do you where do you land on derby allen i i think he's got a lot of potential my problem with derby allen and this may simply be you know him being probably young enough to be my child is that the um the crazy stunts the getting locking yourself into a body bag and zipping it up and rolling down uh you know uh from a far distance like that stuff doesn't relate to me in any way whatsoever so i don't see that stuff as cool I imagine that there's some kids who who are watching who see that stuff as pretty cool. Uh, any any time you know where he does the crazy stuff, like there there was a time and place for it. Like back in the day when you used to watch like uh, you know some stuff on MTV, they would have these crazy gags and stuff where people would just go nuts and ride a bike through fire and stuff like that. But it's it's never been my cup of tea. What I, what I like about him and what I want to see is the, the wrestling point of it. I think he had peaked and then they kind of brought him down and I know there were injuries there and I don't think he is back at what his peak was when, when he was super hot. But what they did tonight was, uh, you know, they, they basically finally gave him that one win that he was lacking 
And if you're following the storytelling, you know, this all happened last year. And so is it the right time? I would have waited until there was a crowd. But then when you think that way, you never know when the crowds are actually going to come back. You know, they had, like I said, they had 900 people there. So there was people there. It's just... It didn't. It didn't uh, feel like you know there were that many people there just because they were so far away. But I preferably I would I would have wanted to wait until he got that crowd because because then at that point you know he he maybe maybe he by the skin of his teeth Cody scoots by and he's Cody's like nope I don't want to wrestle that guy anymore like he's too good and you know he's got to come back up the ladder and then he does and then finally he wins that match but they did it here and I don't know what the storyline is it looks like maybe Cody and him are going to tag uh, against uh, the the Taz Taz's team but overall he's not he he I I think he is I think he was hotter a few uh, several months ago i do i do think he's got a really good future but i lean more towards you know jungle boy and and, and guys like that who they are also sort of holding back and waiting for you know the the crowd to come back before they really crown these guys but you know i i, I like the story i, I would have just waited a little bit longer yeah with with darby um i think if they the only real result here tonight and this goes back to what i said earlier about it being predictable was was darby winning um cody beaten him two three times already i think the last time was he just barely eked out a win just i think he reversed the coffin drop into a backslide and pinned him mm-hmm. like so you know where else could they have really i'm really gone other than darby winning it here tonight and you know like i they've been he hasn't really been on TV a whole lot. I know they've they've made references to him, but like I said, he's like Sting. He's like just kind of there and there, all talking at him and like saying, "You are a big deal," but like he's not being a big deal. And hopefully tonight kind of took care of that because you know they they really went out of their way to uh, talk about how he's the new face of TNT, and you know that's this is a major television show, and you know they're really going out of their way to say you're our guy now. So. Hopefully, uh, we do see more of them. I don't know if Cody will... I think they might swap in uh, Will Hobbs for that tag team against Team Taz. I think that's what they're going to go with for him. Um, it was nice to see Team Taz on the pay-per-view tonight. A lot of guys not on the card. I know they had, there's just only so many, but um, none of the Dark Order except John Silver, which I found very strange, mm-hmm. especially given that, you know, uh, that was just a straight-up singles match. You know, I know... Um, mm-hmm. I know it was probably just, you know, get Orange Cassidy back on track after losing his, his title shot to Cody. But, um, you know, it just kind of I kind of thought it was a little strange. It was like this is just the one guy and, you know, Brody Lee's not here. The other his tag team partner, uh, Alex Reynolds, isn't around. Or is he hurt? I think actually, no, he's hurt. Um, but, yeah, I mean, best friends. They, they got on the card, I suppose, um, showing up. Um, I know a couple guys showed up in the elite deletion and we'll get to that, but, um, yeah, just a lot of guys not on the card. So it just, uh, when it was just so strange to me that there was like no shenanigans in that John Silver match, it was just a straight singles match. Um, how do you feel about guys, uh, that they, they get over on BTE, like John Silver (laughs) having a pay-per-view match is okay. Like, um, I actually kind of stopped watching BTE because uh, one of the things that kind of annoyed me about it is like they insist that you watch it if you're a fan of the promotion and it's like, mm-hmm. I don't think you should have to. So I kind of want to see like what it's like to 
watch this stuff like on television without having that context of BTE anymore. And without BTE, I, who is John Silver? I don't, you know, I, and he's been on television a little bit and he's, he's with the dark order, but, um, I just don't think the, the development's been there that all of a sudden he's just facing orange Cassidy at the pay-per-view. Yeah. I have a problem with BTE in that if they had a million views for BTE, then I could see them doing storyline stuff. They have like 150,000 or 200,000 or whatever views for BTE. So if their hardest of hardcore fan base is barely watching, I don't feel that it's necessary for me to watch another, you know, 20 minutes to 30 minutes a week or whatever. And so I don't pay attention to it. And you know, maybe it's a little rebellious on my part to just be like, why should I have to spend time watching this thing when you have two hours of TV? But to me, the TV is is the canon. And so I, I watch the TV and I don't really bother with the BTE. I, I do have a problem with, you know, if they don't follow things like like they can do angles on BTE. But if they don't follow it up or they don't show them on Dynamite or they don't explain them on Dynamite, I think it's a big fail. Yeah, um, they've even just started. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, um, I was going to say they just started recapping Dark on Dynamite, which I think is something I don't really know why they weren't doing that the whole time. But, you know, they they cram so much uh, content into that show that they should really use that i know that they're eventually going to have a another hour of television somewhere down the line so maybe they're just saving it all for that big next push but you know they have another show then and you know they just started recapping it on the main show on cable so all right the flip side of the best matches of the night what were there any matches that were a little disappointing or you didn't really get it or you thought you know maybe they just lost their way a little bit. I know you mentioned that you pretty much liked everything, but is, is there anything that was, uh, 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 you know, less than uh, yeah. what you thought it was going to be? So um, I didn't have the highest expectations for uh, Hikaru Shida and Nyla Rose, um, but I thought it was it was fine. You know, um, I think they want to go with Britt Baker probably in the future. So. Uh, having Hikaru Shida as the big babyface champion, I think, is it makes a lot of sense going forward. So, Nyla was just kind of a roadblock, I think. Um, and they had a good match uh, the last time they they, they fought. So, um, always nice to see Vicky Guerrero as well. So, um, the Elite Deletion, um, you know, uh, it, I think it kind of depends on how much mileage you're getting with cinematic matches these days. Um also, how much you wanted to see Sammy Guevara and Matt Hardy continue fighting, um, which I wasn't really too keen on either. Um, you know, it was craziness, as all of the House Hardy hijinks usually are. But, um, you know, Gangrel showing up and, and just all sorts of wackiness. Um, it, it just didn't elicit, you know, as much for me. And and this is I'm this I think the last episode of Impact I've ever watched was the final deletion. So, um you know, I'm a fan of the the broken universe, but I just think like mm-hmm. it's it's where I hope this is it. I hope this is the end, and I don't know really where you go with Matt Hardy, the character. Uh, 
right now in AEW. I know that's their problem to figure out, but um, I actually uh, I, I take that back. I know I said I picked every match right. I thought Sammy Guevara would have won this, so uh, I, I take that back. I, I did think that he was going to win this, um, which I think is really the point of any young guy feuding with Matt Hardy right now should be we want to put the young guy over. But I don't know. Can he lose his, his match at his house? Probably not, but... Um, <laughs> You know, I think Sammy Guevara is like one of he's going to be a white hot baby face one of these days. I don't know if you saw the last dynamite, but he had a sequence in his tag match against uh, Wardlow and MJF where he is just it was like Seth Rollins esque. Just he's in the ring, dive on one side, back in the ring, flip out on the other side, just lightning in a bottle. The kid's so amazing. Um, So I think. Would have liked to see him get the win. You know, it's just, uh, but hey, you know, it it is what it is. It's a Matt Hardy uh, compound match. So um, hopefully they'll do something else. If they they have another match on Dynamite, they'll give Sammy a win or or something. But um, and then I know you weren't particularly thrilled about uh, MJF Chris Jericho. Um, I kind of just thought that was it, it was in the spot it was in because it was just kind of the next telling of the story. Like, obviously I, I don't know where they would have went if MJF didn't join the inner circle. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, MJF's going to join the inner circle. And then now we find now find out on dynamite what happens next, you know? Um, and so it was, it's almost episodic and in, in a lot of ways, a little, you know, predictable. It's like, okay, well, MJF has to do it. This is the way he's going to do it. Um, and yeah, you know, I don't know how much uh, MJF is great in the ring with with guys who can go. Like I mentioned, his him his sequences with Sammy the other night on Dynamite were fantastic. Um, maybe Jericho's not that guy. Um, I, I think I'd much rather see Wardlow, Jake Hager right now. I think those guys have done a great job with the tension between them uh, during any MJF Jericho segment. I think why wow, I'd really like to see those guys fight. So they're in a way, I feel like they're almost building that up better than they're building up. Uh, they built up the MJF Jericho match, but uh, yeah, that was just kind of a, a, a given people a reason to tune in on Wednesdays. I think that was just kind of a, you know, they had their big banger match with uh, um, the Young Bucks and FTR. You know, you had this what was probably going to be a bloodbath coming up with John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, like. So, yeah, I think it was in the right spot. And I think that it was just kind of we have to this is the story we have to tell. We're going to tell it and we're going to move forward. So um, we'll see what they do on on uh, on Wednesday. But. Yeah, I was fine with the idea of MJF winning. The match just wasn't like exciting. Like, you know, they've been teasing this thing and it's one of the most entertaining storylines and. You know, the, the they, they do a skit where these guys are singing Broadway tunes. And then when they got in the ring, it was just like, okay, we're, we're, we're just going to do this sort of slow match. And I just didn't get it. I didn't get it from that perspective. But, you know, I, I, I get MJF winning. I'm totally fine with him winning. Just did not understand the style of the match that they wanted to do there because... There's so many, like Jericho has been in every kind of match that anybody has ever been in. And I just can't imagine like that was the story that he wanted to tell tonight. So they, they, I mean, I I, like, I I went into the show thinking, I wonder if they're going to try and steal the show. And then I came out of that show going like, 
well they didn't even try at all to steal the show so yeah that's interesting i i, I would have thought this was just uh like if jericho won somehow i i just don't know really know how the story continues so for me i guess it was just kind of like oh okay well you know we got to get to this we got to get to point b so we're on our way here and, and that's just how you have to get there so um yeah I, um he definitely should have went over I, I i think that it's nice to see jericho starting to do that stuff you know i i was a little, i remember when the whole promotion kicked off i was a little annoyed that he beat kenny but i know you got to kind of make him a you have to treat him like a big star it's just you're caught in that 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 uh decision of like do you push the big wwe guy or do you make a new guy so i ultimately it ended up being the right decision he got them the the eyeballs they needed and then john moxley's taking the ball and ran with it so yeah no absolutely um so where do you think the next steps are with MJF and Jericho. MJF is now part of the inner circle. Jericho's buddies don't like MJF. Jericho was celebrating with MJF. Uh, you know, Hager was kind of like not un like sort of unhappy, but didn't want to show Jericho that he was unhappy. Wardlow's now in the mix with the inner circle. Where do you see that thing going? Yeah, uh, definitely with the Wardlow Hager. They're definitely going to have a match, if not on one of the big dynamites coming up, then maybe they save it for revolution in February. But, um, well, that's a long ways away too. That's their, their next pay-per-view is not for another four months or so, but, um, gosh, I think I, at this point in his career, I'm surprised Jericho is not ready to just cash in on a big baby face run. So I think that's probably what we're working towards where, um, I don't know if Jem JF will usurp him in the, in the inner circle by slowly, uh, winning over the members or I don't know how he would turn them against him but uh, I kind of just see this ultimately ending in probably MJF obviously turning on Jericho and then the dissolution of maybe the inner circle I'm not sure where you go from there it's not like the, an NWO faction or, or a New Japan faction where it's just like oh we're just the inner circle now so we have new guys joining and, and stuff like that but um that's a great question. I I think obviously they really want to put the the rocket on Maxwell Friedman. Just he's such a superstar, such a great talker. Um, does numbers for him on television. Um, I think he'll work with Jericho as long as the two of them want to work together. I don't. I, I wonder how long they plan to to keep because I feel like they pulled the trigger on the Cody MJF feud pretty quickly. Um, because they were really, I don't know, they, they never really got MJF over as like Cody's friend to me. It was just like, okay, that guy's definitely going to to ruin all of this. <laughs> and, and then he did. Uh, so I would see definitely Wardlow and Hager being more of the focus. Like, I, I think if you wanted to somehow split Wardlow away, and I think people are ready to cheer for him as a babyface, I think he is going to also be a star for this company. So if they also recognize that this would be a great way to kind of get him out on his own, um, run him up against Hager, um, let people cheer for the guy. So I, I, which I think they should absolutely do. Um, so yeah, a lot of things they can do. Uh, I just think that it ultimately ends poorly for the inner circle at large. So we had this NWA women's title match and we had the AEW women's title match. And it seemed like the consensus 
on Twitter and in other areas that I was watching was that the NWA women's title match, which was on the buy-in portion of this show, kind of outshined the AEW women's uh, you know, women's division. And because of who is involved, Serena Deeb, Thunder Rosa, it's almost like that's where the better you were going to expect the better wrestling. What is your take on how the NWA women's championship fits in, in, in with the AEW? Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, uh, at least Serena Deeb making this kind of career renaissance um, and great for her. I, I uh, was talking to Justin earlier today. I love that her thing is yoga. I absolutely love it. I love the serenity lock. I'm, I think that's <laughs> great. Um, so and and I also I like Allison Kay. I, I've seen I'm familiar with her uh, back when she was in Impact and, and obviously now former NWA Women's Champion. Um yeah, they're they're. I don't know if maybe they're just a little bit more. I, I, I maybe not well known. I know Serena Deeb's kind of uh, a journey woman, so to speak. But you know, I, I don't know if she's like a household name. Uh, definitely a lot more hype around the belt. I think just um, maybe the quality of match that Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb had to, and, and plus the fact that Thunder Rosa had carried that belt. I think adds a lot of gravitas to the fact that that belt is a big deal. And, you know, Hikaru Shida's had this long reign, but it's like, okay, you know, she beat Nyla Rose and, and Big Swole. And, you know, I, I think I think it's a big deal because of Rosa. I think she's the real star. I, I know that they teased her again. I don't know if she's going to be... Uh, I, I hope she's with AEW going forward. I, I think she deserves that platform to to do what she does. But I think maybe it was just that... Um, she's a bigger star and Serena Deep having that belt is kind of, you know, legitimizes her is like, oh, well, this is a, this is the one who beat Thunder Rosa. So, um, also, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how popular Nyla Rose is. I, maybe that kind of sunk the AEW women's match. I think a match with Britt Baker, who is wonderful on the mic and can really draw heat, you know, they really didn't do much to build. Hikaru versus uh, Nyla other than, you know, heat spot where she attacked Vicky Guerrero and, you know, they were already having the match at that point anyways. So, um, I can't really speak to the, the totality of the NWA women's division. I think that, um, beyond Rosa, I know, uh, when they were doing power, there was, uh, Allison Kay and, uh, Melina was there. Um, but I'm not really sure. I, I think the NWA women's belt, I, uh, I think it's literally just the association with Thunder Rosa is why. And if they were working, maybe people would be excited for a title v title thing. Maybe that's a good way to give a shot in the arm of the uh, the women's uh, title division. Um, but yeah, I just think someone coming in with the legitimacy of Rosa and like people know it and they, she's shown it. And I think people are still a little hesitant on Hikaru Shida. I love her, but. You know, I, I don't think she captured people's hearts like, say, uh, Yuka Sakazaki or um, even Riho to a, to a degree. Um, I love, like I said, I love Shida, but I just don't know if they're the two most dynamic personalities. And a pretty, and, and their roster is pretty thin too. Like beyond Britt Baker, it's it's not not too many else or not too many others that you can kind of just put there in your title scene. So. Um, Hopefully, uh, I'm not sure if Deeb, do you know if Deeb is uh, NWA or is she an AEW wrestler? I'm, I'm not sure if she just won that title. I th I think she is signed to AEW. 
Oh, okay. That's cool. I, I, I know, I'm, I'm assuming Rosa's got to be coming. And I, 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 I hope so. I know she mentioned she had a year left at uh, NWA, but who knows what's going on there. Uh, if I were to guess, I would guess that WWE would pay her a little bit more just to play keep away. That would be my guess. They, because they could throw her. I, I would hope they wouldn't put her on on NXT, but maybe they would, because they could really show her as a former AEW person who chose them over AEW. Right, like that's kind of the whole Monday Night Wars thing, and it's on a little bit of a smaller level, or maybe a lot on a smaller level. But you could you could incorporate and automatically she becomes hot based off of that idea. Sort of like when, you know, I think probably I'm trying to think of the last person maybe mid AJ styles when he came in at the Royal rumble that one, that one year, it, you just automatically feel hot because you were a free agent and you were a little bit of a secret person coming in, even if the hardcore fans, you know, know that that's what's going to happen. But I just feel like it's an, it's an immediate, uh, it's a, it's an immediate it's an immediate spot for her to where the fans automatically go oh wow she must be special and if they, like so that's why I feel like WWE will do that but you know maybe, maybe they don't maybe they don't like her maybe maybe she will be AEW bound but I just I just sort of feel like you know we're at a point with both companies where AEW is legitimate and now WWE is going to want to screw with them and so you know we'll see what happens like with. Um, AEW contracts coming up, right? Because we haven't had that yet. I don't know. I don't know how long these guys are signed, but you know, if WWE was like, "Oh wow, you know, there's a, a person on AEW who's actually getting ring time," like there was the the young kid who who they signed uh, recently, um, who was on AEW television that that one night during the NBA playoffs, and then WWE yeah. signed him. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's stuff like that that will happen. And I, and I think, I, I hope that AEW is ready for, for WWE to do that stuff. So, Yeah, you know, I, I think when you see them doing things, and I, I remember reading that Rosa wanted to make sure that she's able to continue her, her outside projects to wherever she goes. And, you know, WWE, for whatever reason, decides to take away the Twitch streaming and, and just other avenues. So I think... When, that it's going to become more important than ever, uh, just kind of the autonomy that AEW appears to allow their talent to have over their careers and characters and and free time, I guess, even for that uh, to that level. Um, and I think it's going to keep people uh, away. I think obviously for a lot of people, the dream is WWE. It's 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 what they've worked so hard to do. Um, I just think if there is a viable alternative, um, which it seems like AEW. Um, with the TV contract, sounds like they're in, in talks for a video game. You know, that's serious money. And, and that's like big time company money. And um, I think they're gonna, they might do a lot to keep somebody like Rosa away. They might do enough to keep her away, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it'll be their loss because I think she wanted, I think it's one of those things. She wanted to go to the World Wrestling Fe- uh, Federation, uh, WWE. Uh, it sounds mm-hmm. weird to call it World Wrestling Entertainment. Um <laughs> I, but uh, I think she wanted to, and I think that it's going to. Uh, it, it stopped her. It gave her pause, and she would rather keep doing what she's doing um, with her training uh, and and outside endeavors. 
because she's doing fine there. And, you know, who knows? They might not even let her keep her name, which is one of her best things. That's such a cool name. Here's how WWE solves that problem, though, right? They go, okay, what do you make per fight? And what does she make? 50 grand a fight? And they go, okay, well, we'll pay you for three fights and plus your your contract with us. And so you don't have to work like that's how they solve that problem. Right. So that that's why I think that they 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 can get whoever they want because they can pay as much as they, they can pay more than everybody else. And they're the way that they solve problems is with money now. When when you use your leverage and you force them to maybe pay you a little bit more than you want, does that hurt you in the long run as far as what your career actually turns out to be? Maybe, probably. But uh, but at the end of the day, like if they really want somebody like I don't think I, I think that the, they just, you know, add 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 a little bit more money to that check and, and make it work. Yeah, I hope, I hope she at least gets uh, the opportunity for a bigger platform. But, uh, hey, maybe she's even going to stick with the NWA. We don't, I'm not sure what Billy Corgan has up his sleeve, but it um, seems like he doesn't mind his wrestlers showing up on uh, AEW. And specifically, I know I mentioned it earlier, but AEW don't seem to be too shy about mentioning other promotions, like Don Callis uh, showing up for the, uh, mm-hmm. to do commentary on the first match. Um who I thought added a lot of insight, but you know, they refer to him as impact EVP. Um, and they, they, they just straight up, you know, this is who he is and where he works and what he does. And, you know, for, a, you know, to see a company acknowledge a different company that to, for all we know, they're not in business with. Um, I, I know they, I think they mentioned beyond, obviously there was that reference to Johnny Gargano and, and Tommaso Ciampa in the tag match. Um, New Japan, obviously. Um, so who knows? Um, it, but uh, with NWA, I think um, the, if they wanted to get some, some more of their talent in there, I think it's a great opportunity, especially for things like a pre-show. Because, uh, you know, that was a good match. And um, it really, I think, probably was the best thing they could have put on the pre-show. I know that John Silver, Orange Cassidy was originally supposed to do it, but... Um, I thought, yeah, uh, great, great showing from Serena Deeb. Glad to see her get a submission win. All right. Is there anything else I missed that you wanted to hit on? Uh, Eddie Kingston's green Masala gear. I think I just wanted to shout out. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think it was a particularly good look for him, even though I knew what he was going for. Um, I, gosh, Eddie Kingston, man. Um, I'm from the Northeast U.S., um, so my f- familiarity with Eddie Kingston is, um, I gosh, I don't know, 2011, 2012, when he was Chikara Grand Champion, and you know that that was really my first uh, encounter with Eddie Kingston, um, and thought he was a weird fit for Chikara, even just learning about that promotion, um, and then they went dark around that time, which you know if you know the lore of Chikara for one reason or another, but Mm -hmm. it's just so crazy to me to see that guy who uh, is now main eventing in AEW pay-per-view in 2020 against uh, John Moxley. Um, And great for him. He absolutely deserves it. I think there was no chance in hell that he was going to win, but AEW did such a good job making you think that he might. I I think they did such a great job, especially John Moxley too, who sold uh, and just the promo work these guys have been doing. 
not only did they make you think he might win, you kind of wanted him to win because, you know, he's talking about things like doing it for his mother on, on, on dynamite. And, you know, I know he goes into that. He goes back into his heel character where he's talking about, Oh, you're going to have to kill me Mox. Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you know, he's, he's so real and man, it's just so great to see him get the opportunity. I think, um, you know, they made, they did a great job making me want to see a match that we saw like three weeks ago and which mm-hmm. was kind of a emergency thing anyways, cause Lance Archer got, got sick or was exposed or, um, so the fact that they were able to turn it around and make it a pay-per-view main event and make it compelling, um, just what a great, what a great show. I'm glad it main evented. I know a lot of things in the show probably could have, um, and I thought they would have went with the tag match, but uh, I just what a, what a and uh, Eddie Kingston his his last gasp at the end it was just heartbreaking. You could see the emotion; he was just devastated, just didn't want to didn't want to do it, and uh, had to give up. And, and just wow, um, I, I think they made the right call going with that, especially because they wanted to do the tease at the end with Moxley and, and Omega, but. Um, yeah, Eddie Kingston and John Moxley, I think. Um, I can't wait to see more from Eddie Kingston. You know, where do you go from him? Or where do you go from here with him? Uh, is he the guy that they're going to have uh, fight uh, Pack when he comes back? Or um, what's going on with Penta and Phoenix? And, you know, um, just a compelling character. And I think they it's just, you know, they more or less pulled him from the scrap heap. Like, I, I, I don't really think he was doing a whole heck of a lot. And... Now he's just, I think, one of the most compelling people on wrestling television right now. So um, can't wait to see where they go with uh, with him from here. Uh, doesn't look like it's going to be the world title scene anytime soon. But uh, I don't know. Maybe the, in, in some someday he can chase for the TNT title or something because uh, he absolutely deserves a shot at the big time, especially if he's going to keep cutting these world-class promos. Um I'm not from. I'm sure this spot has been done on the indies before, but the spot with the rubbing alcohol over the uh, attack. (laughs) uh, I'm. I wasn't familiar with it. I I don't know if it's. uh, I just thought that was particularly. They're so good. John Moxley. I don't know if he comes up with these spots because I mean, last year at Full Gear, I think he had the one where he was crawling through the glass in the match against Kenny Omega, where just these these just visual shots where it's just like everybody can probably imagine what that feels like. And just especially the rubbing alcohol, because everybody knows what that feels like, but like to have it used as a weapon, I think was just, oh man, um, great match, great show. I think it finished on, on such a great note. And, uh, cause those guys are just going to beat the crap out of each other. And, uh, hopefully, uh, the next, the, the next main event with, uh, Omega and Moxley is just, uh, I think, we've seen a lot of the bruising side of John Moxley. I'd like to see uh, a little bit more, I don't know, scientific or he's going to get a different match from Kenny Omega than he did with Brody Lee. And the last match had that balls to the wall, just violent stipulation of like, Oh, what was it a lights out match? They call it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that seeing those guys in a straight wrestling match, I, I want to see that. And, and, you know, they've done a great job holding off on Kenny Omega as, the main character of, of AEW, but I feel like they're just like, all right, we're going to let this dude loose. And I think Mox is a great foil for him to be there at the top when they want to, want to whatever, whichever direction they go, who knows, maybe he'll hold the title for eight years. Like San Martino, who knows? When Moxley was, I think is the first show that John did with Justin and I, 
he specifically talked about the Eddie Kingston thing, how it happened. He said that he had gotten into into town and he needed to take a nap because it's a really long, you know, couple days for him. And so he took a nap thinking that the match with uh, Archer was on. And when he woke up, he woke up to, I don't know, it was a call or a text of the news of, of what had happened. And obviously he's super disappointed. And then when Tony said, how about Kingston? I think that jiggered some creative thoughts for Moxley saying, ooh, that's something that we can sink our teeth into. So, uh, so you know, he he thinks very highly of of Eddie, obviously. But that was it was kind of cool to hear how that how that happened and how that uh, broke down for him. I just the turnaround too, like, like, and you know, they did it mostly through promo work. I thought this past week on Dynamite, um, you know, that the the Kingston Moxley encounter was just oh my goodness gracious, that was. A plus wrestling television, like just some of the best, and it, they they did such a good job, and it it all came together pretty much out of nowhere, and, and that's that's a cool story that that he was able to just kind of like yeah, let's go with Kingston, and, and not only that, then then that turns into a, a pay per view main event. It's just it couldn't. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I hope that he gets another opportunity um, at another big match, and because he deserves a definitely a shot to to be a champion for them, I think. Okay, so what do you have on your creative plate that you want to let people know about for writing for the website or just in other places uh, you know, that, that you may be doing stuff? And then also let people know where they can find you on social media and the like. Yeah, um, well, obviously, I think the best place to reach me is on my Twitter, which is at hard underscore seltzer, just like the drink. Um, I am pretty much exclusively writing for Fight Game at the moment, so you can catch me on fightgamemedia.com. Um, I'm, being, I'm publishing uh, at least twice a week. Uh, right now, I'm working on a, a story uh, about retribution and uh, just kind of how the McMahons have portrayed them and maybe why, I guess, uh, retribution's been treated the way that they have. Um, also kind of looking into more about the Twitch situation. Um, what, what exactly, what kind of fight WWE has actually picked with their, with their talent, um, regarding, um, this whole Twitch ban, which I think is just something they, they don't, they don't quite understand what they've done. Um, so yeah, but all that stuff and more can be on fight game media or you can check me out on, on Twitter, uh, hard underscore seltzer with the new leadership. Andrew Yang has talked about possibly getting involved. And I have my theories on whether that is good for the wrestlers or not. Because my fear is that if WWE has to treat a lot of their talent as employees, that they just cut uh, their staff or, or they cut their wrestling staff by a decent amount so that they're only paying who they believe that they should be paying. And I don't know if that's necessarily good for the business, even though they can completely afford it. Uh, and, and you know, it could create the opportunity for maybe another company to become involved. But I, I don't I don't know if it's as cut and dry as like, oh, yeah, like WWE all of a sudden has to pay everyone like an employee, like, you know, the way that things work today. You know, I you know, we talked to Moxley and Moxley's like, 
you know, I don't always have to go to Jacksonville for a live TV because I may not have a match. And if I don't have a match, I can just cut the promos that I cut, you know, at home. So maybe I don't have to go to TV. So if you're, if you are an employee who doesn't have to go to work five days a week, do you qualify for benefits? Do you qualify as a full-time employee? That's the stuff that I think is really sticky and you know, sort of defining what that is as far as being a full-time employee is, is pretty key to the whole situation. Yeah, I think it's an interesting uh, cause for Andrew Yang to take up. Obviously, it's rooted in, in labor and, and all that and, and the designation of independent contractors and, and how WWE is has used that and, uh, to, to their benefit for pretty much forever. Um, it, it'll be interesting. I just think it's, it, it, it could even be a sign that, um, and this is kind of taking it to its logical conclusion, I think, but, uh, it could be a sign that maybe Vince McMahon would consider selling the WWF at some point, just because he'll be, so out of touch and maybe he doesn't want to deal with this. I think it's going to become that big of a legal quagmire for him, especially because he wants to dig his feet in. And I think at some point, maybe he might just say, you know what to hell with it. I'm, I'm however old he is, 70 years old. Um, I think they've, I've personally thought the McMahons have wanted to cash out for a while, whether they ever actually do, I don't know, but, um, I just think there could be serious, far-reaching ramifications for it and, and, and not even just limited to dissuading of talent um, which I think is, is also huge I, I, I wouldn't want to go to a company like uh, even even good 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 soldiers like AJ Styles are subject to have to deal with this and he's like the most benign <laughs> online gamer ever he just wants to play his games online and talk to his fans and it's just he even he got shut down and I, I just don't understand um, why they picked this fight, but um, also good stuff. A lot more report cards going to be coming out too. Um, should be uh, at least one of those a week. Um, if anyone has any suggestions as to who they'd like to see, feel free to shoot me a, a message on Twitter or uh, hit me up a, through the website or through the fight game media Twitter as well. Yeah, when you, when you wrote the first piece on the raw underground, cause I think we both had the same, mentality which is WWE cuts bait on a lot of stuff and all of a sudden there's this raw underground thing and to me I was like you know what I'll wait I'm, I'm gonna wait a month I'm gonna wait a month six weeks or whatever because I don't feel like this thing is gonna last and then when you wrote your your original piece I th- that might have been the first thing you wrote for us I was like yeah this is really smart so I really enjoy your sort of overall looks at you know what WWE does and you know a, a lot of times it may be a little negative just because of some of the things that they publicly do that, that you can visually see on your television or just with, with storylines. But, you know, they're still the, uh, the, the top game in town and, and based, you know, you can see in, in your report cards, like Drew McIntyre and Asuka, like are having great years. So, you know, there is good stuff happening in WWE. It's not all just uh, negative. Yeah. And I, I've kind of, in order to kind of, not skew so negatively uh you know and there are people in wwe that haven't had great years and i'm I'm sure i'll get around to them but i did want to highlight some of the things that they've done very well during this uh i guess i've been calling it the pandemic era um 
and actually in my latest piece that I'm working on, I do reference, I don't think I've written anything for the site yet that doesn't reference the COVID-19 pandemic, just because obviously how far reaching and, and impactful it was on everything that's happened this year. But, um, you know, they always, they talk about making stars in WWE. I mean, you could argue they still need to do that. They absolutely did that with Drew McIntyre. Um, he is, you know, top of the uh, top of the charts, just doing great stuff. And I mean, what's what else can you really say about Oscar? She's just. Um, I'm sorry. Is that my headphones? Sorry about that. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, they've just done great stuff, and I wanted to make sure to uh, highlight what they were doing. Uh, cause I do think some, a lot of the negative things I think are worth talking about. Um, my first piece was actually looking at the, uh, allegations, right, been, right, uh, right. Covering up, right. which, uh, uh, pretty heavy stuff to write. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it's important because a lot of people are asking those questions and, and want to know why, um, these guys are still on TV, especially with people like, uh, I guess they've just named him riddle now, but, um, <laughs> You know, he's still got a, a, a plum spot on TV. At least Velveteen Dream, you can see they, uh, he might not be doing so hot as far as... Uh, I mean, they just had Tommaso Ciampa come out and, and mush him on NXT this past week. But uh, a, lot of, a lot of the negative things uh, I think are, are, like I said, worth talking about. So I, I try not to, to, to dwell on those things, but I, I do think they are important. All right, hang with me for a second here because you mentioned you're a sports guy. Do you do any sports betting? Uh, n- not recently, not really since the uh, the pandemic started, but uh, mostly in basketball, which I think I, would probably be my, my wheelhouse. So throughout this uh, this basketball season, did you enjoy the, you know, that that bubble of where there was like literally like games every day, playoffs every day? Like, did you enjoy that aspect of, of how they came back to the season? Oh, yeah, I loved it. Um, I, I think just being able to do sports this year was going to be such a challenge. And uh, you really, I really got to take your hat off to the NBA. They, they did this no positive tests. Um, they were down there for three months. And, um, you know, I love basketball. I just want to watch basketball at high level. And, you know, is it weird that it's on in August? Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to watch anyways. I, I'm, I'm that big a fan. So I think uh, the bubble was what – they did what they needed to do. I don't think they'll eventually go back to one. I think it will probably be like what we're seeing in uh, baseball or um, – football where they're they're just trying to keep things in-house but they are traveling um i don't think we're going to see fans back in stadiums i I know wrestling keeps kind of inching closer and closer to being like oh we need to have fans back but i don't know i not to go on about what's going on in the country but things are not changing so i I just think we're going to see more basketball in front of uh, no crowds but uh, they did what they had to do. I, I will all admit right now, I'm a huge Laker fan. So obviously this was a completely ideal outcome for me. Um, <laughs> you know, I was very happy to see LeBron uh, get another championship. Really wanted this one for him. I, I think this is really 
the, this was a legacy cementer. Although the Cleveland one was really his legacy being cement because, you know, he brought a championship to Cleveland, which may never happen again. Um, and hey, I'm from Buffalo. I know all the, all, what that's about. Like, uh, so that may never happen again, but uh, he bringing one to a team that is known for winning titles is, you know, you can only play the games in, in, in better in front of you. And uh, to anybody that said there should be an asterisk or anything like that on the season, I, it wasn't like a labor dispute or anything. The, the players didn't ask for this. You know, a, an asterisk on a shortened season would be like, yeah, there was a labor dispute or, or um, you know, we had to cancel it because, you know, half the league was found cheating or something. You know, they're, and this was everyone was in the same boat. So to declare any champion, I think, um, would be a big deal. Um, and then, yeah, they're going to have to go right back because it sounds like they announced uh, they're going to start at the end of December. So we'll get our Christmas Day basketball. I don't know how good it's going to be, but we're going to get it. And so that is a great segue to talk about our other sponsor, Bet Online, because like Andy just said, the NBA is coming back sooner than you could possibly imagine. You know, we're, we're talking like six or seven weeks from, from right now, and it just it feels like the season just ended. So, you know, you, you may not be at a game this year. You may not be celebrating Christmas Day in an NBA stadium, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE. So check out betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all in one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Andy, thanks for hanging out with us. I'm going to send uh, to the last segment of this show, which is myself and John LaRocca talking WCW Saturday night, the November 7th. Uh, 1992 show. And again, my mic is a little off because uh, it's it's a little funky, so I won't sound as good, but John sounds great. And then John and I will be back again on our Friday morning show. All right. It's time for our WCW Saturday Night Review, the show November 7th, 1992. Usually these shows are two-hour shows, but because we don't need to watch the commercials, you know, they, they come up to about uh, like an hour 20. And when I saw the runtime on this show, it was an hour and 55 minutes. I was like, what, what's going on? Like, what happened to two-hour show? So I think it was a two-and-a-half – was it a two-and-a-half-hour show? That, and, and, and I, I mean, I don't know why they had the extra half an hour, but uh, it's. It, I think it was an extended show for – for our uh, our friends, Jim Ross and Jake the Snake had to do a little bit of overtime. Yeah, I don't remember the reason why it was longer, but um, I do remember this show. I was it was uh, going on. I was like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that, or remember the match and where we're at. So yeah, but uh, I'm glad they they delivered some good matches though for us. So that was good. So they're building to a Clash of the Champions that is about a week and a half away and then the big show is going to be Starcade which 
is it is it the I think they said December twenty eighth, so super late after Christmas, mm-hmm. and and those will be you know that that's what they're building to here. The other thing that they're building towards is this King of Cable tournament. Was it for sweeps? Like, what was the idea behind this tournament? It must be sweeps week because it's November, right? That's why they're doing it. And also, I think it's a reason for a number one contender to come out of it. And it kind of worked in their... I mean, if that that wasn't the case, but it did work in their advantage, we know who wins it. And he challenges for the title soon after that in the big pay-per-view. So, Or not... I don't know if it's a title match or... Anyways, he's in the title picture after he wins it. All right, so the show starts with JR as normal. He's with Jake the Snake, and Jake stays with them for the entire show. Sometimes you'll see, you know, Bill Watts and then Mick Foley, but they're only there for a few segments. But Jake is with JR the entire time. It was good, which, though. Yeah, he he was he, he had he had an interesting style. Like he he didn't change his like the 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 Jake that you saw cutting promos is literally the same Jake doing color commentary with Jim, very calm, really drawing out the voice. Uh, and and it, it was really cool because it's just a different style. And, and you know, the, the thing I was thinking about when we were started to do WCW Saturday night, they didn't have a normal co-host. Mm-hmm. And so JR is just talking, you know, he, he's working with different people all the time, which is, you know, the kudos to him because it's not easy to do. Uh, he, but he had talented guys. He had PSAs. He had Mick. He had Watts. He had Jake. All these guys know how to do this job. So, you know, it probably made it easier on him. But still, kudos to JR because he had, he pretty much had, he's either going solo or he's got a different guy in that role for every, you know, every other segment. Yeah. I, I like Jake because he, you know, he's, you know, obviously as a heel kind of, he doesn't necessarily cheer for the heels, but he, like, gives like game plans what they should do and it's funny because like in his he head was pretty, he was cheering for rude when we'll get to the rude match but he yeah. was out and out cheering for rude yeah but like but like at moments like because you know he's watching the match and he's running through like what he would do i i could i guess like he would just call stuff before they did it like here comes the back elbow and <laughs> like back elbow happened you know like <laughs> like he just was like you know his brain's going as the matches are going as well so it just was uh it was just cool but i, I thought he did a great job and i was like yeah man i don't remember i don't remember him ever doing this before like if he was a reliable employee he probably would have had a career as the mm-hmm. color guy I, i'm sure jim ross enjoyed this a lot more than doing color with jesse ventura at Halloween havoc 92 so it makes you wonder, because we still see Jake Roberts on our television screen in 2020 with AEW. Be interesting to see them bring him on for a segment to do color. Yeah, maybe maybe give it a shot, maybe on dark or something like that. But I don't know. I don't know if Jake hasn't been other than the first couple weeks. He hasn't really been that strong, I think, in AEW. But then again, he hasn't really been featured that much. They kind of yeah, just yeah. They're on one day and then they're gone for three weeks. They were even on this last show. They were mostly in the audience watching and laughing at or brooding one of the two. All right. So the first match here is Kensuke Sasaki, who was the referee for Chono at uh, Halloween Havoc. So there was a reason he was the referee. He's in. He has the stereotypical Asian music to come out to the ring to, and he faces... Chick Donovan. 
Chick Donovan's got the little tassels on his biceps, like the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, Sasaki, um, very you know he he's like he's like a, a powerhouse, right? He's like a fi- he's like a fire hydrant, just you know stocky dude. It's like a very Japanese Rick Steiner. Very impressive from that perspective because he's got the athleticism and he's got the power, but he's not gigantic. He's still sort of packed uh, body wise. Uh, he misses a bulldog off the top rope, and then Chick, poor Chick, decides to to sell it, even though he he did not uh, he did not actually hit the move. And he has like this beautiful like judo like flip throw finisher i was like man i, I want to see that like in today's wrestling mm-hmm. and he beats chick donovan but what what'd you think about sasaki here yeah this, this overall was a good match i mean the 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 flying bulldog on the top rope was blown i think chick wasn't in the right you know he was in the right spot it just just came off but chick donovan's a good veteran he's been around a long time and um, I think he's kind of like semi wrestling now, but he has he he's, I never get his look like this the, the one of the best mullets in wrestling history and the, <laughs> the 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 mustache and you know the tan and you know he's he's he, you know he's a good 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 undercard guy to have on your show and um, he's been wrestling for a long time and he did a good job with Kensuke Saki I thought overall. Um, Saki looked good. I mean, he's the powerhouse. Like, you know, like I said, he reminds me he's like the Japanese. Rick Steiner, you know, he does a he didn't do the power slam this match, but he has a killer power slam. And that judo throw was his finisher for a while. And and I don't know what it's called. I just know it, it's in, it was impressive as hell, you know. It just looked great and so fast. And I don't know if that was I guess that was the original finish. Cause I think, you know, he's gonna have to go over that with fucking uh, Chick Donovan, you know, like <laughs> before the match, kinda like, oh, this is my do, this is how you go into it. Because uh because yeah, that's a pretty. I mean, it's a pretty uh, not a complicated bump, but it's just you know you you want to because he goes fast with it and stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I would think they talked about that a little, little bit in the back. So, um, but yeah, uh, fun opener. And uh, that's funny how you say about that the generic Japanese music. That used to be great media music later on, I believe. <laughs> and I love that music actually. I think that was one of the one of the. And then of course that music you would hear until like to the end of WCW. They'd always bring that out for yeah yeah, a yeah. Japanese wrestler. Teddy. Teddy Long, he's not, he's not just talking about, uh, you know, the park and rec or whatever he, he was talking about, the boys club or whatever. He now has a job as a, a backstage interviewer. He's got two spots to do that tonight. Uh, the first one is with Sting, and it's like the shortest Sting interview of all time. And uh, then they do a Clash promo for uh, November 18th. So from this show, yeah, it's like, uh, what is it, like? Uh, 18th. So seven, yeah, it's like 11 days. So it's 11 days from when they, when they have this show. And uh, on that show is a tag title match between Wyndham and Rhodes against Ricky Steamboat and Shane Douglas, which they will play up uh, later on this show. And Battle Bowl is returning. They will, uh, there, there is a Battle Bowl segment in, on this show that I thought was uh, kind of, I, I don't know if I would have run that exact segment to, to prop up this show. But, uh, but yeah, they're going back to Battle Bowl. So they did that stuff. And then we have Johnny B. Bad against Bob Starr. Sunset flip off the top rope. Um, so... Uh, and then, so after the match, because he wins with that move, and usually he was winning with that left hook, Star kind of 
pops up and, and pushes him in the back just so Johnny could hit him with that left hook. And then they do an interview. We see Scotty Flamingo again doing his Dusty impersonation, and they're trying to see who's the prettiest one. Johnny B. Bad pulls the lips out of his tights, which I think it's a little suggestive to we're supposed to think that he, you know, they were touching his his dick or something. And then uh, he puts them on Scotty's Scotty Flamingo's cheek. Scotty Flamingo knocks him out with a uh, right hand, and we learn that it is full of coins, and that's how he knocked out Johnny B. Bad. So we're getting something with these guys. Yeah, we're getting I don't like. I remember being very bored of it, and we do get it. Um, but I like this buildup, though, so far. Though I don't like Scotty Flamingo doing the flamboyant gimmick. I just don't like that. Um, I think he could just spin Scotty Flamingo like he was. Instead of doing this, I mean, not battle over who the prettiest and now it's going to lead into who can knock each other out because, you know, Scotty hit him with the roll quarters and I thought the angle was good. I just wish I just I wish it was building to something, something else than what they do with the clash. So, but um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I thought the, the angle was good. We get stunning Steve. <clears throat> it's it's so weird because we saw uh, Austin and Pillman together, and they were kind of a fun team. And then they they're just not working together. They're back into singles. Mm-hmm. We get Austin against Ricky Nelson, and surprisingly, this is way more of a back and forth than you would think going into this match. Austin does win it with stun gun, but Ricky Nelson gets a lot in this match. Yeah, Ricky Nelson is a good uh, good worker. He's um, he's always been a good worker, but always been like an undercard guy that. Um, you know, I never got us. Never got us. I remember in Memphis, he got a little something, but you know, he was a strong promo. Um, Carolina guy, I think he was trained by Nelson Royal. I'm pretty sure about that. Um, but always a good worker, always had uh, competitive matches, and you know, there's respect there. So Austin made him look, you know, gave him a little something. And um, I thought the stun gun looked great, you know, perfect. I like that move. That move should be brought back, the old hot shot, you know, or stun gun. I always liked how Steve Austin did it because he would get it and twist, and the guy would go mm-hmm. to the ropes. So I thought that mm-hmm. was pretty cool. His little, his version of it, I thought was nice. Tony Schiavone uh, it does another sit down with Eric Watts. I thought this was the best version of Eric Watts that we've seen so far. They show him training with Sasaki, with Hiro Matsuda, and Chono, and he's learning the STF, and he's learning some some things. This this was a much better way to kind of promote the young guy who is learning how to do some stuff. You know, uh, they've done they the one that we that they did last week where he's like kind of they're shooting him up and he's like kind of cocky like that didn't work at all but i thought this worked pretty well yeah no i it's funny i had the same exact note this is the best eric Roth video so far um uh i liked it i liked it a lot i love this stuff i love this kind of stuff and this is perfect that it's and this is when he starts now he's learning the stf so um he has a finisher a new finisher so ps hayes is uh ready for him He's in his wrestling gear. Last time he was in hard bottom shoes. So of course he was <laughs> going to slip around. But PSAs is ready for Eric Watts. He's got Watts later on in the show. How awesome was his freaking promo? He was great. He was awesome. Is- I, he he was when I was younger. He was you know th- there were certain guys who I was like okay like I really want to hear these guys talk. Obviously Flair, mm-hmm. the Road Warriors because they were so aggressive. But like my like sort of 
secret guy was always P.S. Hayes. I used to get a kick out of him so much. I still get a kick out of him. Even when he comes on, you know, uh, in, 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 in the yellow, uh, in the yellow Tweety Bird suit. Like I just, <laughs> I, for whatever reason, I just get such a kick out of him. Never forget. We're at, uh, I was at my buddies and we went to Fresno to go see, fuck, what was that pay-per-view called? Not fully loaded, but it was like, uh, it was 98. It was Steve Austin. The main event was Steve Austin and Cactus Jack versus mm-hmm. Undertaker and Kane. Or no, Steve Austin and Undertaker versus Kane and Cactus Jack or Mankind at time. And we stayed at the same hotel, which is across the street from the arena that all the wrestlers did. So I met Terry Funk. And we saw The Rock. And, and I remember... We were sitting in the lobby just hanging out, and all the wrestlers are checking in. There's people getting autographs and stuff. And Michael Hayes walks by, and my buddy goes, hey. And he, like, Michael Hayes has this big smile on his face. He's like, oh, you're wearing an Ahmed Johnson T-shirt. Like, <laughs> And he just, like, looked down and walked out. Like, it was – I'll never forget that. I'm like, oh, man, why'd you say that? <laughs> it was just uh, – God, what was that? It was, like, July of uh, – not dude, 1998, 1998, sorry. Um, but yeah, I was I'd never forget that with Michael Hayes. But back to this promo, which I thought was freaking fantastic. It gave me actually pumped for the match or wanted to see it. He talked about his routine, Watts and the Free Birds, and mm-hmm. um, they do a lot of that in this in the show, bringing calling back to some history, which I thought was really good. And this show had some really good promos, some strong promos on for a lot of guys that can. Man, I miss these kind of promos. I'm looking up your pay per view here. It's it a, is you know it was fully loaded. You're right. Oh yeah, it's went the freaking Sable and Jackie out of a bikini contest and um, some random ass matches like Terry Funk and Scorpio versus Bradshaw and someone. So it was just a, an interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll read you the matches right now. Mm-hmm. So July 26, ninety eight, mm-hmm. WWF in your house, fully loaded. Sellout crowd, 9,855 with 8,800 paid. I was in the third row on the camp, hard cam. I was with face, I was not facing hard cam. I was hard, on the hard cam side. You see yourself on TV? No, no, no. I'm, 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 oh, you're opposite side. I'm opposite. I only I remember like the second row up, the last seat was this very hot girl. Just, just <laughs> dro- drooling over a Val Venus who worked the opener versus Jeff Jarrett, which was actually a pretty good match. He beat Jeff Jarrett. D'Lo, as the European champion, beat X-Pac. Mm-hmm. Scorpio and Farouk beat Terry Funk and Bradshaw. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mark Henry pinned Vader. <laughs> Skull and 8-Ball. Oh, shit. Beat the Legion of Doom. Oh, God. Owen Hart beat Ken Shamrock in the dungeon match with oh, yeah, that was, Severin as referee. Yeah, they brought TVs out at the ringside, and I couldn't see anything, but I just watched the girl at, at the end of the road. So <laughs> it's just, just... Triple H beat The Rock. No, no, no. Triple H and The Rock went to a draw in that, the best of three falls match. That match is really good. Sable beat Jackie in the bikini contest. Is that the one where the she just had the paint? Was it yeah, the oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, you know, being the, I was on the hard camp side, I got the whole the whole shebang. Oh yeah. And then main event was Austin and Undertaker beat the tag team champions Kane and Mankind mm-hmm. to win the tag team. Yes, team. yes, and that was a, that was a good match too. And I'll never forget this. After the show, they had an autograph session. Some autograph guy. I want to say I'm trying to remember who. I, 
thought I know the guy. But anyways, he had it set up where there's an autograph signing after the show. And Cactus, or Mick Foley, literally in his gear, walked across from this, the arena to the hotel and signed autographs in his gear and didn't shower or anything for it. He was just ready to go. <laughs> and uh, Owen Hart was there and a couple of the guys. And I remember thinking after Owen Hart passed away, I, I remember I wanted to go talk to Owen Hart, but like no one was there to see Owen Hart. It was like Steve Austin and like then Mankind were like the, everyone else like Owen Hart was like, God, is anyone going to see me? Like that's what he was saying. And I was like, I always thought, man, I wish I would have went over there and talked to him, you know, but unfortunately I didn't do it. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, so getting back to this show, we have – and this is where I was like, okay, they're stretching this show because they had the – what did they call it? The underdog challenge? Well, they had like a little Scotty Flamingo promo again talking about what he did with the roll of coins and how he's – what do you talk about? Like, he just says he's like, he lost some change or something. Oh, yeah, we went to go yeah. punch him and, and uh, he, now he now he's all about knocking off. Obviously, they're building some a boxing match, right? So um, – uh, but yeah, the, the Battle of Underdogs, which between Bob Cook and Joey mm-hmm. Mags, mm-hmm. Um, which this was one of those things that they had this match and they gave it a title of the Battle of Underdogs. Now, this would have been a good idea. I don't know if they do it. I mean, we'll find out next week if they even do it in the following week. But if they would have like created this like underdog tournament and like an opportunity for someone to get some kind of future opportunity they win this tournament... This, they could use this to really build up a, a, a young up and comer like they're featuring like you know you know he's competitive a couple weeks losing matches and now he gets in this tournament and now you, he wins it and now you now you push him you know like a like say you had a Marcus Bagwell before he was Marcus Bagwell and like you put him in this tournament and like he kind of like wins it and you're like oh god you know he's gonna be something out of it or at least you know now he's not just a job guy he's a featured guy I don't know but the match was fine it was a good good little match you know they're both good workers Joey Mags and Bob Cook. Cook wins with like a float, like a float over suplex or something. Yeah, yeah, it was just uh, he has that he has that right hand, man. That that he always looks so good. Okay, so then Rick Rude and Medusa are with Jr. The whole thing was just to talk about Bill Watts. Yeah, obviously was- that's that's the that, that's the thing that that's the beef. And so just to talk about Watts. That was basically the whole interview. This was great, dude. I thought Rude was awesome. He's intense. He was pissed, and he should be right for all the time. For you know, he's upset that Watts was trying to screw him and everything, and blah 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 blah. And um, and he's kind of in the right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he has a, he has an issue. I God, you know, like I I we'll talk about it a little later, but like the whole Paul E. Dangerously and Medusa stuff. I wish they wouldn't have done. I wish it was really building up to Watts mm-hmm. and Polly because I think that would have been money. I think Rick Rude and teaming with uh, Paul E versus Bill and Eric Watts would have been something, you know, mm-hmm. like they could have done. Or, uh, or, or, or maybe like Rude and Austin or Rude and Anderson or whoever in the Dangerous Alliance. And the win, the win at the Bayface is when they get five minutes with, uh, you know, Polly or something like that. You know, that they could have done so much cool shit instead of like this whole man versus woman BS. That was stupid. Yeah, we'll get to that promo in a, in a second. Dr. Death, Dr. Death, Steve Williams against Owen Strong. Owen Strong is a gigantic human being. It's a big and old country Do- boy, huh? And Doc had to get this dude up for the stampede. 
Not he almost lost him. Not, yeah, not to say that he wasn't. He didn't get him up. He did, but you could tell like he's like, okay, this is not the easiest one that I've had to do here. Like, no, he well, no, he got him up. He caught him easy. That was fine. But when like he connected with the uh, the the slam in the corner into the turnbuckle, I think he lost his grip on the guy's tights or something like that. So he had like almost kind of correct himself and muscle him back up, and it looked good. It looked damn impressive. You know, Owen Strong is just a. He just looked like a typical country boy, just like big old country boy who like wrestling and he's here to and, you know, he had like the nice 90s tights going and um, didn't look like anything special. I probably wouldn't sign him or, you know, but uh, but, you know, it's a impressive big man for big Dr. Death to throw around. And I'm always happy when Dr. Death see when he's on my television set. All right. So then we have. uh Pillman with Tony Schiavone. So Tony, Tony's on again. And Z-Man comes out and, and Brian is trying to sell Z-Man on his new lifestyle. And Polly dangerously is out there. I'm not exactly sure why Paul E was there. Yeah, that was weird. But he's trying to sell uh, that Pillman was trying to sell him on the Z-Man, but he's not sure that the Z-Man has what it takes. And Z-Man not really the coolest dude in this promo like he was mm-hmm. he was kind of like awkward and and he didn't even i don't know he didn't fit at all i, don't, I wasn't sure what this whole thing was for well it was because they you know they there's history of pillman and z-man as former united states tag team champions and and the idea was like you know pillman still they probably not hanging out anymore but he still has some some respect for Z-Man. And he's like, hey, dude, like, look, what's, I changed my attitude. I'm a winner now. Like, you know, you should change your attitude, too. I think, you know, and then Paulie, I don't know why Paulie, I think it's one of those, you know, they, they kind of, with Pillman, they, you know, they they put him with Austin for a little bit, then they dropped it. They, of course, eventually put him together with Austin again. And the rest is history with that team. Um, but maybe this was like a flirtation with Pillman, with Paulie, you know, but I liked it. I, I liked this segment. I think... Tom Zink, Z-Man, they should have given him some more meat to talk about here. Like, he could have really got into it with Pillman about their friendship, about their history. But it was kind of quick when he started talking. It was like he blew him off pretty fast. Like, I don't want anything part of this and kind of leaves. But if he would have definitely gave Pillman some lip service, we know he can cut a promo. All that, all those times on the old Yada shows with Bill, you know, the mm-hmm. Dave, Dave Meltzer. So entertaining. Yeah, I mean, we know he can do it. But like kind of like Brad Armstrong, he's kind of like stuck in that. This is how babyface should be kind of mode, like a classic white meat babyface. But if he like would just let it let it rip and be like, you know, chair Brian a new one, like you know, you're doing this all wrong. You turn your back on your fans, your families, you know, disappoint you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you know, like I think it would have been a a, a good segment, but I, it was good in the beginning, kind of it ended kind of weak. So then they do a recap of Starcade '91. I thought this was a bad idea because there are guys who were baby faces the last time who are now heels. And they do this recap of Sting's match where Abdul the Butcher, who is no longer in the company, attacks Sting. So they're trying to say that, you know, in this lethal lottery, this battle bowl, you could get a teammate who doesn't actually want you to win. And thus, he could turn on you in the match. But the problem with this is Sting actually wins. Sting is facing beautiful Bobby and Brian Pillman, but because Abdullah turns on Sting, Brian saves Sting, and Brian is so happy to see Sting win this match, which means that he just lost the match, 
And I thought this was really this is like a goofy one to show as far as what you're trying to promote. As a kid, I was confused by this match when I saw it in Star K ninety one. So uh, I, I I can only think they picked Steam because he was the biggest star in that match. Obviously, still the big star they have there. Um, I would have just showed the first match when the Freebirds were on opposite teams. That's what they should have done. A quick little, a quick little like them being introduced and are, are being randomly drawn quote unquote and then they should uh they should have showed them like wrestling for a little bit and that's it that's all you need to show right it's just uh, yeah this was pretty bad but again like they they were trying to build something but they also had extra time so i wonder Mm -hmm. if this was like an extra segment that they just threw in because it was it wasn't just hype they're like literally showing like segments of that pay-per-view yeah yeah so then we had uh, Robbie Walker versus Buddy Lee Parker with Ron Simmons at ringside in uh, Robbie Walker's corner. God, I thought Robbie Walker was really bad in this match. Oh, he was a shit, dude. He was he's horrible. He's always been. He's most. He's mostly. He's like the two left feet in there or something like that. Like he can't hit the ropes correctly. He was lost. Buddy Lee Parker is just being so freaking pissed off. I can tell he is not happy, and he also gave him a couple receipts in there. <laughs> He freaking hit him with a forearm so, so so stiff. It was pretty. He was so mad. And then, like, at the end when he loses, he's, like, having this conversation with P.B. Anderson with his back to the yard cab. And you could just tell he's probably like, what the hell? That was <laughs> horrible. This honestly shouldn't even really aired. Or they, I don't think they could even edit it. Like, it was just so bad. What is the reason for giving Robbie Walker this uh, La Magistral cradle when he can't even do it correctly? I don't even know. I don't even know. Maybe he saw it on a television when he's watching Lucha Libre and thought, oh, that's a cool move I can do. And I, But just not even the La, La Magistral cradle. Was, he just can't even do other simple tasks. I know, like... People get on Eric Watts, but like, what other young guy are you gonna push? Like, shoot, yeah. not, not Bobby Walker, and he's always been like, Bobby Walker has always been a guy that's you know, kind of clumsy in the ring. Like even back in the 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 Monday Night War days, he, I used to watch like stuff. I mean, before I got it got too much for me, but I used to watch still watch the Saturday Night good into like '97, mm-hmm. and he would do like those matches on there, and he'd fall off the top rope or something, and you know he won that. He was part of that discrimination lawsuit against WCW that they won. You know, Sonny Ono, him, I think Hardbody Harrison who used to open the prostitution ring, um, and it's like I don't think it was color. I think it just was you know that good. You know, poor Bobby Walker, but he's Thunder Patterson's what nephew or something like that and you know watts and then uh you know watts had respect for thunderbolt so you know he's giving the kid but if you know look at by walker good size good look right i mean i'm sure he's a decent athlete for some reason when he got in that square circle he just had two left feet and it was he's just rushing all over the place and i mean uh you know buddy lee parker's a good worker but i don't know he could he couldn't do much here he was he's just frustrated so Ron Simmons wants Tony Atlas, and then Teddy does an interview. Is, is this where he does it one with Brian Pillman? No, that was um, that was after the Oklahoma uh, uh, Oklahoma Steve Williams in Owen Strong match. That's when they the, the oh they do another they do another promo, don't they? Oh, talking about yeah, he's talking about his uh, upcoming match with Sting right later. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. Another promo, like we just talked to Brian, right? Right, right. He could have done that all in one segment there. 
Uh, and so then we have Eric Watts and P.S. Hayes. JR, I think, because JR's been doing these other these Sunday shows with uh, Michael Hayes, I think he calls Jake Mike one time. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I misheard that mm-hmm. or, or not, but uh, I, th- I thought he had called him Mike. But uh, then, you know, he wouldn't call – would he call Michael Hayes Mike on, on the other show? I don't know. Uh, but Eric Watts wins with a with a fisherman suplex or like a perfect plex. Yeah, which is funny because we just saw him teaching the STF. Maybe he hasn't yeah, perfected it. Yeah. He hasn't perfected it. So. Yeah. I like that fireman carry slam that he had. Yeah, that's that, that's a cool move. Yeah. I'm gonna, Like I said, I'm going to send it to someone. They can use it. Um, uh, but that match was great. I thought this match was fantastic. It was, you know... Uh, Michael Hayes was working hard to get Eric Watts over. The crowd likes Eric Watts here, right? The crowd's mm-hmm. buying it. They bought it last week with Bobby Eaton. Yeah, this um, is his best showing so far. Yeah, this By they far. had, and you know, and you know, like I said, there's a lot of it's Michael Hayes, but uh, Watts wasn't that bad, man. He wasn't that bad. He had intensity. I love when he just jumped on Hayes, started bringing down right hands. Like, you know, poor Eric Watts gets a little bad rep, but he's not. That if his name wasn't Watts, last name was a Watts, I don't think he'd be a bad prospect at investing. So then Paulie comes out because actually, you know, Paulie's the one that's trying to find the guy to beat Eric Watts. Mm-hmm. He's making excuses for for P.S. Hayes. You know, P.S. Hayes had a fever. He had pneumonia. He's overworked. <laughs> this is so and good. Then, and then uh, Watts comes out, and and Heyman just decides that. You know, this, all, all he wants is is Medusa, and so he's doing the whole sexist thing. And Watts is like, you know, I know you're not married, but but you know, think about your mother if she's watching you on TV. And Heyman's like, yeah, if my father would let her watch TV. <laughs> so he's just being over the top. And so then, did they set up a match here? Yes, at uh, at uh, the Clash. Like Clash has a lot of funky matches. This one, unfortunately, and uh, one one of his this, this one it was the one hand every time I his back mash versus Medusa, which doesn't sound like a good idea for Polly dangerously. So, yeah, I think he's getting kicked in the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Tex in Shanghai against Shane Douglas and <clears throat> Enrique Steamboat. Like I said, they're going to get the tag title match, mm-hmm. but they got the tag title match before. Wait, did they? Wait, did they have a match last week? No, they just had. Ne- no, did they? I can't remember. No, it, but it no, just, was it? I, feel, I feel like they should have had them early on the show yeah, before yeah. they announced the tag match. Well, they had. They, they exactly because they announced it early in the show. No, last week I think Steamboat wrestled Dustin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I know. Even back then, I remember like thinking, "Oh, they're getting a title shot already." Like, you know, they just announced it. Uh, but this, as a match itself, it was a really good match. Yeah, actually. no, it was, it was a, perf- it was per It was a perfect match. To set them up for a tag title match. Yeah, um, Steamboat, he must have laid this match out because uh, he's a you know been years and years of working tag team matches, and I know Douglas worked tag matches too, but like I think Steamboat definitely will obviously be the ring general here, and I think he just laid out a really good match, featured Shanghai and Tex Lasher their strengths really well. They lost here, but it's okay. They lost here, not a big deal. Um, Good showing, good, good, good match. So it's this kind of started off this nice little block of three quality good matches. 
So then they do this thing where they talk about Steamboat coming back to WCW in 1991 and how his tag team partner was Dustin and just sort of giving you a little bit of a history lesson of why Steamboat and Douglas and 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 Dustin and Barry are all tied together for this uh, for this match. Then yeah. I I I I love this. I I, I used to like it completely dig it when they'd go back into the archive and, and show you a little bit of history. Yeah, you know, like that's the problem with pro wrestling is like they never honor their history, you know, like it, and when it's like well, I mean, Watson, I mean, one of the things he did was good credit, like, so, you know, bringing up history between him and him and the Freebirds, right? Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Z-Man and Pillman's history. Now here we, you know, we talk about Steamboat and Dustin being World Tag Team Champions and for a time, and now they're wrestling each other, and there's a nice mutual respect, and, of course, Barry Wynn's not there, right? So he's probably fuming over this. They did show a post-Hollywood Havoc interview with him. Yes, Um yes. And then he he is going to be in a singles match at the end, yeah. but he is not in this little mix of, of this exactly. interview with all, all the guys. He's getting ready, well, obviously because he's getting ready for his big. King of Cable, first round matchup versus the Ravishing One recruit. All right, so then we have, um, then we have uh, Barry ha- does a little interview with Teddy. No, actually, I'm sorry. We, we we didn't really mention it, but just Dustin and Jr. do an interview. Dragon and Shane come out, and it's just friendly thing. Like like they all respect each other. Dustin's like, you know, I just uh, I hope you give your hundred hundred percent, and then a little bit more, mm-hmm. and uh, that that's the segment. Barry and Teddy have this interview because Barry's about to face Rick Rude. So here's something that I never liked about wrestling when they would do this. So Jr. and Jake are are, are you know they're they're doing a little stand up, and then Jr. throws to an interview that Tony did with Jake, and I'm like, mm-hmm. you just you're just talking to this dude, and now you're gonna play an old interview with this. You know, I, I always used to get frustrated with. But that. I mean, they did set it up where he said this is a uh, interview that was recorded earlier it was very interesting, and do you want to you know talk a little more about that now or just play the tape? And he's like, I oh, just play it, and Except, it was good stuff. No, 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 it was good stuff. Except it's the exact same thing he said last week. <laughs> with you know except they changed it from a reptile to a serpent but jake is saying you know jake did the thing where he's like i'm I, you know the, the reptiles in the bag but i'm the one that you should be worried about like that that stuff is great but he just said that last week so yeah, he, why did elab- they why they do it again a little more a little more elaboration on it but it, yeah i thought it was I thought it was good like i said it's a strong show of strong promos all right and then we had uh rude and windham and this match was pretty good. It, it had a couple of uh, of dull spots, but I thought it was it was normal. It was a generally pretty good match. Mm-hmm. Rude has to um, he has to beat Barry by holding onto the ropes. Barry it was is a little hard in this match because Barry's not a traditional babyface. So I don't know if the crowd necessarily knew what to do, but there were some spots where Barry worked like a baby fakes, like he did the thing where he slammed Rude on his butt. Then they gave him the atomic drop so Rude could always do that sell. But it was almost like the fans were like, mm, I'm not exactly sure how to react in some of this. But overall, I thought it was good, and Rude wins by holding onto the ropes when he's uh, pinning Barry. 
Now, I assume they might have filmed most of this stuff in order. So they did have, they were up for that tag team match with Steamboat and Shanghai, Steamboat and Douglas for Shanghai and Tex. So maybe they're like a little down a little bit. But also, Wyndham has been featured last couple of weeks as like a heel, or you don't know his intentions. So mm-hmm. maybe they weren't really that behind him. But I would say this match was really damn good between two professional wrestlers. Like they really knew their role, how to play it. Um, uh, both are so strong in all aspects, and and Wyndham is such a good seller, man. I just really just, just watching this high this high level of selling, which you don't see too much these days. And but you know, seeing it here and appreciating that style just was a really really good. And um, I really like this match. I mean, the finish was kind of clunky, like you know, the, the hold the tights. I wish they would have done something a little different, but I don't know. I they I wish they would have got a little more. Maybe something it can't do roll quarters or anything like that because they already did it or just something that kind of or maybe Polly or Medusa tripped up you know or Wyndham somehow or got involved and or maybe Eaton came out or you know I, don't, I know they're kind of really distancing Rude from the Dangerous Alliance so but I don't know just I thought it was kind of a little little cluttered at the end there but um, overall really good match and then we had Sting against Brian Pillman which was a fun match. And, you know, you don't really see Sting wrestle competitive matches on TV. Mm-hmm. He, if you see him on TV, he's cut a promo or he's wrestling a squash match. So to see a competitive match and to see that crowd just go nuts for this dude, <laughs> like, was really fun to watch. And he, he won with a, with a back suplex. But Brian was with there. You know, Brian was with him, but Brian was playing, you know, sort of traditional heel, doing the heel stuff so that Sting could make his comeback. And Sting wins doesn't you know doesn't win with his normal move just you know wins with a a wrestling move like he out wrestles brian pillman to win this match yeah to me brian pillman was being rick flair in this match you know that's that a lot of the same spots you know he using the chop body slam on the top rope stuff like that so um and of course he threw his brian pillman flair in it Uh, to me this match showed that brian pillman could be top heel you know i just i this is a match if i was watched i'd be like damn this this kid went out there and busted his ass and i know they had a little rocky relationship but like i would think god i think brian pillman should have been a watts guy it's just so weird but they Mm -hmm. had some issues but i thought this match was fantastic and i remember this match i remember having this match on tape when i was like like on one of my VHS tapes. I remember, like, oh, I gotta tape this match. I gotta tape Sting versus Pillman. And you know, not only were they in the main event position, so they're gonna have a, a you know, work work harder or just have a you know, they're looking to have a big match. I also think Sting really was you know wanted to put his buddy over and really you know, make have Brian Pillman shine and get him over because uh, you know he respects him and I mean he doesn't respect Brian Pillman's hard work in there and and they had really good chemistry. I was. God, man, this was good. Really good. And then the end of the show is Big Van Vader uh, talking. They, they, they mentioned that he broke Joe Thurman's back. Was that legit? I don't remember yeah. if it was legit. Yes. Yes, it was. He, They showed it and they used it. <laughs> and I think Jim Joe, I think Joe Thurman actually, I mean, you might want to go back and observe and read it, but I think pretty sure he was okay with them using it to get heat. And, uh, but yeah, he broke his back and... Um, I think that's when Bill Watts gave the doctrine, like, don't be hurting these guys. You know, these guys are just, um, you know, they have regular jobs, you know, outside of this. You know, they're here to make you guys look good. And I think it was one, you know, 
it was one of those weird things. But you know, Vader sometimes was a little reckless with that power bomb at times, mm-hmm. and, and this was the case. It's really high on him, and um, but I like what they used it for too. Like I like Steamboat coming out, and you know, I thought that was great. Yeah, he comes out to basically say, you know, you pick on these guys, but what about me? The problem, and I don't know if this was a problem, but they're setting you up for this Steamboat and uh, match of the Clash, and so I can't tell. Is this for just TV? Is this going to be a big match? Is this for a house show? They, they didn't have enough time to sort of set it up in that way. So it just looked like, oh, Ricky wants to do something else too. I'm, I'm guessing it might be for the house show. Um, because next week, Tony Atlas and Big Vanity wrestle in the opening of the first round matchup of the uh, King of Kingle tournament. So um, I'm guessing for the house show. Though they did end up in 93 having like a two-match series on television when Vader was a champion and Steamboat, they had like a, <laughs> this is, this is classic WWE. They had a singles match and with some interference. And I think, Vader, I think maybe Harley race got interfered and Vader won. And then they had a rematch. Now you and I would call it a lumberjack match, but they called it a human cage match. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, WCW sometimes. All right, so uh, that is uh, our WCW Saturday Night Review. Um, so thanks to um, Andy Marshall for, for making his debut. For John, I am Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out.